0: Today's reading is Colossians 3, 1-17. It can be found on page 1089 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray as we begin. Our great God, you are so gracious, and um, you promised to meet us as we open up words of scripture, and we come into this room from all kinds of different spiritual places and uh, different kinds of needs that we sense today. So whether we come uh, hurting today, grieving, suffering, perhaps, and really hoping for you to show yourself as the comforter, as the healer, or whether we come with great thankfulness because a big life issue has been worked out, and we see, we can tell, we see your hand and your answers to prayers that were voiced weeks or months or years ago. And maybe we come with a, a faith that feels like it's slipping away, and questions that are now becoming bigger and bigger barriers to knowing your love. Wherever we come from, the truth is, we're all more of a mess than we want other people to know, and that def- that defines a lot of how we feel about drawing towards your presence is our messes. Please meet us now with your grace, a grace that tells us that you move towards people with messy lives and you embrace them with your love and you take the brokenness and the mess and the pain and the suffering on yourself, on your son, on the cross. Help that grace to define the kinds of words we hear from you today in this time. Teach us in a way that our lives might be changed in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> I really, really hate shopping for clothes. I don't know, I, some of you, I think, you know, are cheering. You agree, and some of you are like, "I love it. I just love." You know, I, I got to be careful not to do it too much. I hate it. Um, one of the things I hate about Shopping for clothes is that I feel like I'm walking into, the, um, walking into this labor-intensive vortex of matching. Where, you know, this, this jacket that I want to buy right now because I need a jacket, it might fit perfectly and actually look really good, but is it going to work with the things I bought a year ago at a thrift store? And, you know, all the randomness of all the clothes that I have in my closet, is it going to fit? Is going to work, so I, I really don't like that. I, in fact, I sometimes I wish. Um, sometimes there will be an article of clothing that fits and just kind of works really good. But I, I know that it's not me. You know, I know that it's not my identity. I'm, I'm not a punk rocker, even though that that shiny black coat, you know, totally looks good on me. But you know, in those moments, sometimes I think to myself with something. I think maybe this could be me. Right? And everything could maybe shift. Maybe that's the real me to look like that, to you know. Um, so really, in some ways, I wish that I had an identity that defined my wardrobe. You know, like clown. It would just be simple. Park ranger. Right? And that's not... Park rangers look pretty good. I think it's usually a green, green slacks and the, the khaki shirt. Uh, hipster. You know, I could wear skinny jeans and... Um, and a beanie and a country-western-inspired shirt with shiny buttons on it, Um, or an employee at Hot Dog on a Stick, you know? Just a clear identity that says, here's what you wear. A lot of ways, uh, if you're a Christian or trying to be a Christian or just trying to discover what it means, you might say that it becomes difficult and frustrating trying to attempt to get dressed, as a Christian gets dressed in, in the sense of the externals of being a Christian. Well there are tons of uh, life kinds of things described in this passage, ways to be, you know, attributes of a Christian and clothing yourself with those and that can be really frustrating. Um, in a sense you, know, you say, well I'm wearing the externals but it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily different yet or I don't feel different? Is it just the externals? Someone might look uh, around at, maybe they're not a Christian, and you might look around at the Christians that are in your life, and and someone might somewhat legitimately say, you know, isn't being a Christian just kind of like putting on a different outfit? You know, and okay, they used to go to parties, and now they go to a party where there's, you know, the wine is in a little cup, and there's bread, that you come forward and get or, you know, and they just cleaned up their language maybe a little bit, and they've added a little bit of sentimental Jesus talk, but I mean, isn't it just, have they really changed, someone might say? And either one of these things, basically what we're doing is we're stumbling into a very powerful uh, metaphor and analogy that the Apostle Paul and that the Bible uses as it tries to figure this thing out of what does it mean to live as a Christian And what we find is that the Apostle Paul, as he writes, and he's writing along in this letter with Timothy, he says right at the outset of the letter, Timothy is sort of his co-writer, and as they're writing, they're insistent when it comes to this issue of, you know, the externals and the internal, he's insistent that he wants Christians to have both. Absolutely is not satisfied with just having one and not having the other. He wants Christians to have both the clothing of a Christian, the externals, and the reality inside that the clothing represents, you know? If you're going to wear a cap and gown, you should be someone who graduates, right? Let's, let's hope when you're at that point and you're walking down in that, those clothes that you're also a graduate, and that's the sense in which uh, Paul is after. And so we're actually going to break this up over two Sundays because this is, a, this is just a lot to process, and I think we'd get farther that way. So <clears throat> this week we're going to look at um, the internal reality that the clothing reflects. So you have a reality that you have to accept and you have clothing that reflects the reality. We're going to talk about the reality first, and then in two weeks, we're going to talk about the clothing. So the reality. What is this new reality that is the Christian uh, reality? Well, we know that it's possible, um, like our my imaginary person who might say, isn't a Christian just like changing clothes? We know that it's possible to reflect a reality without actually accepting the reality, without it actually being true of you. It's possible to pursue a lot of the good things that this portion of Scripture talks about without it actually flowing out of a changed reality. When I was a kid, the first time I ever got excited about um, a pair of shoes, really, was when I was at this friend's house and he pulled out uh, this box of shoes and inside were Air Jordans. And uh, I think this was the first time that a person got associated with you know, a specific shoe, I'm not sure about that. I did look up, because it's fun to look back and, and catch the things that I wasn't catching about the time. Is with the Air Jordans, when these came out, they were released in 1985 and they were made with uh, red and black. And this red and black was later outlawed. This, this particular design of the Air Jordan was was outlawed by Commissioner David Stern because there was no white on the shoe. It's very interesting. Um, people wear black shoes all the time in the NBA now, but every time, so Michael Jordan wore the shoes anyway, every time he stepped onto the court wearing these Michael Jordans with, with the, the red and the blue and no white, he would get fined thousands of dollars just to wear these shoes. Interesting fact, but when when I would see my friend's shoes and when I started playing basketball myself and other people would have Air Jordans on you know I'd be like cool They've got Air Jordans. I didn't for a second think that if I got those shoes, I was going to become Michael Jordan. I didn't even think even though I was quite young I didn't. I was smart enough to know that I wasn't even going to be a little bit better than what my own practice on my own represented Simply wearing the clothes of Michael Jackson doesn't make me Michael Jackson. And, and we in our own lives, we're changing clothes. We're trying this all the time. We're trying to change clothes in our lives. Change the externals. You know, because we're dissatisfied. We want to change. We want something different. Maybe, maybe we'll start to change if, if, if we get a new job. Maybe it'll work if I start running or do more yoga or increase my muscle mass. Lose 30 pounds, get rid of my cable TV. You know, what it, is this going to change the inside? If I go vegan, if I ride my bike everywhere and get rid of my car, I start going to church? Clothes, changing clothes. <clears throat> and we sense, and we know really when we stop and think about it, that it doesn't work. It doesn't change our identity. There was this great Volkswagen commercial that came out, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, where this little kid is walking around the house in Darth Vader costume. And, um, and so he's trying to do the force on everything. And he's just wearing Darth Vader clothes. And so this mini Darth Vader walks up to everything and extends his hand. And, and everything he points at, nothing happens until he walks out into the front yard. And he does it to the, to the new car that his dad bought. And the car starts. And he kind of, the best part of the commercial is he just kind of stumbles back like this after it actually works because, you know, the dad has the button that starts the car and is in the house behind him. It's a great commercial. It illustrates the point is that, you know, just putting on a Darth Vader costume doesn't mean you have the force, right? Our clothes, the external things, doesn't change the reality of who we are. No matter how hard someone might try, and people do try pretty hard sometimes. It began with mere barroom bravado. Years later, it got out of control. Warner Jack Gano wanted to be a hero. So he concocted a story about serving with the Marines and being taken as a prisoner of war during a bloody Korean War battle. Gano, now 71, is from the small town of uh, Illinois, Marengo, where he serves as an alderman. His story grew until the uniform he wore on special occasions became laden with fake medals he had ordered from a catalog. A bronze star, a silver star, and two purple hearts. He would march in parades and talk to school children. He even got a special license plate reserved for wounded veterans by forging discharge papers. However, the Veterans League eventually noticed a lack of records on file and numerous factual holes in Gano's military record. I began investigating the cl- his claims. For two years, Gino denied the accusations and excused his way around the questions, but he finally confessed his deception in an interview with a local newspaper claiming that he couldn't stand the facade any longer. It's possible to get to that point as a person of faith, um, not being able to f- stand the facade any longer and to realize, I'm not... The identity that I wish I was reflecting. I want that. And in fact, the Apostle Paul does this all the time. This, is, this passage is a great uh, example of it, where he is desperate to tie your externals, the externals in your life and in your behavior. He is desperate for you to see the connection and to tie them back to the supernatural internal uh, stuff that is the work of God. That the externals of your life that you're living, that you would connect those always to the internal, supernatural reality that's true about you. And this is the language of it. You see it in, actually we, we jump a little bit back to verse 20 of chapter two, and we see how it connects with verse one of chapter three. So you have him saying this, since you died with Christ, that's verse 20 of the chapter before, and then just a few verses later he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, And there you have it. This is identity language of the Christian. This is the incorporation of what God has done. You didn't do it. You have nothing to do with what happened. It happened for you, but you didn't. You take no credit. His death and resurrection becomes yours. You have died, and you have rose again. Somehow that's true. That's the new inner workings of your identity. And so what Christians do with this this truth, this gift of grace that your life is now somehow deeply rooted and connected to Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. An old life put behind. You know, old clothes, a new, cl- new wardrobe given to you. Somehow, you've got to work this into your life. And so Christians go about intentionally working to think differently about ourselves. There's intentional things you do. N.T. Wright talks about some of the first things Christians did to try to work this into their identity. Um, You know, at baptism, uh, which is the initiation point into the Christian faith, a lot of the language in the Bible is about dying and rising. So you go underwater, symbolizing death, and you come out of the water, symbolizing a new life. N.T. Wright says this, In the early church, it was frequently the case that a candidate for baptism would take off the old suit of clothes they were wearing, and then, after coming up from immersion, would be given a new set of clothes to wear. They would be colored white to signify the purity of the new life they were now entering This is the sort of work Christians do, working towards rewiring this new identity deeper and deeper into your consciousness. People write about, theologians and scholars write about the Apostle Paul's writings, because he was a, he was a deep thinker, and he wrote a lot of the the portions of the New Testament. So they talk about this phrase, Pauline psychology. What is the Pauline psychology? Understanding the Pauline psychology. And really, of course, it's not really just Pauline psychology, isn't it? It's, it's, it goes back to Jesus. It's, the, it's Paul trying to put words to what it means to have a new psychology once the reality of Jesus has entered into your life. I like that phrase, psychology, having a new psychology. The Christian, you think differently about yourself and you have a whole new identity about who am I. And so you wake up every day... And you have the chance to say, okay, what does it mean now that God has done all this for me and welcomed me in? How is that going to make a difference in this day as I go about these decisions? On Friday, my two-year-old daughter broke her arm on my watch. And uh, it it wasn't my fault, thankfully, but um, she fell off a little thing and just landed wrong. And she broke her arm and got a cast. So you have this crazy day of trying to figure all this stuff out and taking her to the ER and all the things that had to happen before finally we're getting the kids into bed at night. And the next morning there was definitely this feeling of what is this going to mean for today? You know, now that you got through the emergency kind of stuff of just getting it all taken care of when it happened. Okay, now this is the new reality. What, it, what is it like to have a two-year-old with a broken arm? This feeling like, I think this is going to change a lot about what happens today. It's turned out to go fine. If you know Mabel, she's a very rambunctious little go-getter, and she just happens to have a cast while she does all that. So, I mean, it's, other than having to watch out for water, it's going just fine. But that's a small-scale example of exactly what the Christian life is all about. And I love how verse 12 um, of our passage today gives us an even clearer sort of set of language, um, let's see if I can get to the right page, um, even clearer language to put to this new working identity that you're waking up in the morning and you're saying, okay, if this is true about me, how's that going to affect this and that and the other? And this is what it says in verse 12, just the beginning, just the first few words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved Clothe yourself. It goes on to list a bunch of things, but focus on just those, isn't that an incredible new, this is the reality, this is true, this is just the new reality given to you by Christ's death and resurrection, and you connecting with it through baptism. This is just what the Christian now has as their working concept of self. I am God's chosen person. I'm holy and that, there's some deep theology there, even with that word holy. God views me through the lens of his son who went in my place. That is God's working understanding of me as holy now through Jesus and dearly loved. Dearly loved. What kind of difference does that make? You wake up in the morning and you say, I'm dearly loved by the, the maker of all things. He views me as holy. He's chosen me. What does that do you can just start to think and imagine how that changes every step of your day to view yourself that way, and it begins to affect all the externals that 's the internal work, but it begins to make its way out into the externals it 's an identity checkpoint, and it 's exactly what the um, it 's exactly what was going on here in uh, the Book of Exodus um, at mount sinai it 's the same thing. the story goes all the way back where <coughs> They were going to get the rules of, you know, how to be. They were going to get the Ten Commandments here. But how does it start? Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. This is God's words. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he says to Moses, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And those are the words we need to hear over and over and over in our lives. If we ever expect for the externals to start to flow naturally out of a relationship with God. Chuck DeGroat, who I mentioned is, is coming by here next week. He, um, if I can find it, he puts it this way. He says, At Sinai, God sings the lullaby that echoes the original true story. He whispers to his little children, You are my treasured possession. He speaks words of dignity and glory that an enslaved people long to hear. Sinai represents that moment in each of our lives when it begins to dawn on us that we are more than we seem to be, more than merely ordinary. As we leave our many Egypts throughout the course of our lives, we continually find ourselves at Sinai, the identity checkpoint where we're retold the story about ourselves. I guess the question is to ask yourself is, um, is that your view of where a Christian life comes from? That the heart of your life is a, is a tenacious cultivation of going back to, let's just use that language, going back to Sinai to hear those words. Going back to verse 12 from this passage to hear those words. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. That's your starting point. That's your identity. As Wesley Granberg Michelson puts it this way, and I'll close with this. Our most basic and often most difficult task in life is not just to know who we are, but to receive what one might call the deeper knowledge of the heart, that awareness that one is fundamentally loved, accepted, forgiven. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, may those words echo through our lives every day, in every circumstance, every challenge, Every hurt and every wound. And may they keep us uh, running back to you and running back to the identity checkpoints to remember who we are. May we not just look at our lives as um, in that also common, really non gospel way of saying, I gotta be good, I gotta be good, I gotta be good. But to look at our lives as, who am I? What is true about me now in Christ? And how have I strayed so far from that that my life no longer reflects it? Help us with this and even speak to us uh, through the Lord's Supper as we draw close to your table here in a few moments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.